everybody. Welcome to Mr. B and McKee Movie Talk Podcast. I'm Tommy B. I'm Jackson McKee. And dude, this is our first podcast. I'm excited. Are you excited? Yeah, I am. This is going to be fun. Dude, this is going to be awesome. And what a fitting thing that we're doing a podcast on the prequels, the Star Wars prequels, the day The Mandalorian Season 2 premieres. How crazy. I know, right? I mean, what a coincidence, because like we did not plan that at all. I mean, that's... No. All right, so let's get into this. Uh, so what was your overall thoughts about it? I thought they progressively got better. I thought The Phantom Menace was iffy, and then Attack of the Clones got better, and then Revenge of the Sith was really good. Yeah, my, like, I had, like, a bunch of different problems, but, like, the three things I think that the prequels did the worst was that it had way too many plot lines in each movie. There was a lack of urgency in the first two. And then there was, like, bad dialogue. But then, like, the acting of some of, like, the actors, especially Hayden Christensen and Natalie Portman, just bogged it down for me. But, like, I mean, I agree with you. They did get, they did get progressively better as they went on. I just think, like, there was a lack of focus on what they wanted to do in, like, the first couple movies but then as revenge of the sith came around they're like okay we need to wrap this up we need to clean it up and i think it like it stuck the landing but you yeah know, it was a little iffy so let's get into the phantom menace overall i think it's uh it's fun to see like another like the best thing i think about phantom menace is that it's fun to see more like a different story than the original trilogy it's fun that we have like different jedi but still having like obi-wan in the mix and we get to see young anakin and that's all interesting but i think the biggest problem in the phantom menace overall was the lack of clarity and urgency like some things i don't think are fully fleshed out especially with the trade federation and then like when you the queen has to like get off Naboo, then she has to get uh, the Senate to side with her. Then she has to go. And then she goes back there. Yeah, it it just doesn't feel like there's like a real sense of like this has to happen or else. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. What did you think? I mean, I thought the same thing. I thought that like kind of going into like the casting more. Like I thought that Liam Neeson and Ewan. And Ewan McGregor did a really good job with it. And then Natalie Portman, it was kind of iffy. Like, it got, it had its moments. And then when you get to Jake Lloyd, he's it's just very awkward. He looks confused half the time. And he looked, like, sad half the time. He also looks very sad. Yeah, I mean, I guess the sadness kind of does play into his character a little bit. But, I mean, not to the point where you can see that it's intentional. Like, it's not, like, a choice that he made. On casting, I agree with you. Ewan McGregor and Liam Neeson, they are, like, a great duo. They, It's, like, fun to see, like, a Jedi and, like, a Jedi Master and his apprentice, like, like in action. Like, we, we never saw Obi-Wan and Luke in action together, so this was fun to see. And I think that uh, McGregor and Neeson have really good chemistry as actors, and... I think they are the duo of them is like one of the highlights of the actors. Like, yeah. And also, Obi Wan, like, is like wary of Anakin, like, being trained. And then when, when Qui Gon dies, uh, Obi Wan having to be like the person who has to train Anakin, that is really good, like, character development 
I felt. And then Qui-Gon's death, it's, excuse me, itself, it feels earned. Because, like, when he's dying, he is begging Obi-Wan to train Anakin. And I just thought that was awesome. But, oh my gosh, there's so much bad acting and characters in this. Dude, Jar Jar, oh good God. Okay, so you can barely understand him for one thing, but the oh my god, I don't understand it. And like at the end, Jar Jar gets promoted to general. How does that happen? I mean, seriously, he has demonstrated nothing useful the entire film, and then he's made general. I, I, I know. I don't get it. Like he almost dies like five minutes into the movie. I know, it, and he gets saved. The whole movie, and they promote to general. I don't get it. But Natalie Portman, I want to talk about. Uh, she's like very dry performance. Her character is super one-dimensional. She doesn't bring any like oomph to her character. You know what I'm saying? There's no um, range. She doesn't have any range in this film. And then, like for instance, when she's like begging, quote unquote, Boss Nass for help. Her tone doesn't change. Posture doesn't change. Nothing about her performance changes, and yet she's begging. It sounds like she's commanding him to help them. Yeah, it's like so. It's like it's like a little girl in her like kindergarten play saying like a super dramatic line, but it's like it's nothing. There's no like there's no pulling on the heartstrings. And then Anakin, oh my gosh, he's so annoying, and the kid who plays him, I don't tend to dwell too much on child actors i think like them being in a film is good in itself you know but this kid is just doing everything the opposite of what it should be and then like anakin as a character is so written as whiny like there's this one scene you know during qui-gon's funeral he's asking obi-wan what's going to happen to himself at qui-gon's funeral and it's like why would you do that yeah weirdest thing to do and then every interaction that anakin has with padme even in this one when you don't know that they are gonna like end up together it's just weird and unnatural and creepy. he is way too young to be doing that i mean it's not like he's like eight it's like eight or nine in this and she's what 14 i don't i don't even know what they were planning i don't even uh I don't know why they cast, like, that young of a child to play Anakin. I feel like he should have been a teenager, to be quite honest. But, yeah. And then uh, I wanted to move on to Darth Maul. Darth Maul is very cool, and his stunts are great visually, but there's no substance to his character. He's not given evident motivation. He doesn't talk. (laughs) Like, that part... I don't care too much about like if he the fact that he doesn't talk kind of adds to his creepiness a little bit but the fact is he has no given motivations there's no like reason for why he's doing this he's just doing it so he's just there to exist at the end for the final battle he's just way too one-dimensional for me but i don't know and then ian mcdermott as palpatine is very great even like in like the little bit of screen time he has in this is just awesome he is like menacing and like he's playing both sides and you just know he's up to no good yeah and then but and then you've got the waste of the talents of anthony daniels as c3po samuel jackson as mace window and frank oz they're barely in the movie 
And it's just like, if you're going to have these high caliber actors, give them a little bit more of substance to do. Yeah. Especially with like Samuel L. Jackson. Let's see, at that point, he would have been in pulp, at least pulp fiction. Dude, he's a big star. He is a huge star. And it's okay that you put him to the sidelines a little bit, but I would have liked to see more of him and Frank Oz and C3PO. I don't like how they left C3PO on Tatooine. That part I don't like. But no, I was confused about that. I was like, why would you spend like the nine years of your life that you have building this thing and then just leave it with your mom? Yeah. And like, it's not, it, Anakin doesn't even seem to be phased by it. This is something he has worked his whole life on and he just abandons it. I don't get that. Anyway, I don't know. I wanted to talk quickly about directorial style because like Lucas, George Lucas was hesitant to approach the prequels, but during like, the uh, tech advances in the 80s and the 90s, that's why he wanted he, to revisit the prequels because of the CGI. You know what I'm saying? But yeah. the CGI, man, it's just not good. I don't understand why everything, like a little bit of CGI is fine. Here's what I think happened with the CGI. What's that? I think they blew it all on like the backgrounds, on like the background cities and stuff. And then they just ran out of money for the Gungans and other aliens. Yeah, I mean, the Gungans are fine, but, like, the premise of the Gungans, which I will get into later, is just weird. I don't understand what that was all about. But the CGI quality is not great where you can use it on everything. What was so interesting about the original trilogy was the mix of visual effects and puppetry. Like, and pa practical makeup effects, too. Like, some of them had, like, makeup on. Like, the guy in Return of the Jedi, I don't know what his name was, but, like... Well, you mean the guy he, with, like, the slug ahead? You know, yeah. Like, yeah, that guy. Like, eh, what a wonga. That guy? Yeah, that guy. Yeah, yeah. Like, and in this one, the makeup is very good, and I'll get into that later. But there's just way too much CGI. It's overly done. It's very distracting. You can't, like, zero in on your characters because there's so much going in in the background, and it's not even, like, good. And also, as far as Lucas's uh, style goes, there's so much politics in this one. And we'll get into that way more in Attack of the Clones and Avengers of the Six. But in this one, it, like, starts out like this clean, uh, the home planet kind of, like, refuge from, like, uh, the Trade Federation, and then it goes into politics. Like, so I, made up... I believe to add to that. What's that? Like, the first, like, when they first get there, the Trade Federation is like, this blockade is perfectly legal. Mm -hmm. Why do you need the Jedi here? This is legal. Yeah. I don't Dude, no one cares if it's legal. Don't tell me that. Yeah. Alright, so let's move into the plot. So what was your, um, feel the plot i feel that it got a little dragged out towards the middle like we're like when they're on tatooine that could have been done much quicker You're, yeah really yeah i agree yeah for and like mm -hmm. just don't go back to naboo why would you go back that part is just makes no sense to me but we'll get i'm gonna get into that so, like, the initial plot about the Trade Federation is very American Revolutionary-ish. You know, it's like, um, the Trade Federation is kind of like the British, and Naboo, I guess, is a little bit like America, and there's this imminent war. 
but it's not understandable. We never really get like what this treaty that they need to sign is about. And um, I don't understand it. I had some notes. Let me, um, let me just get uh, one second. But like whenever the Trade Federation uh, quote-unquote treaty is never fleshed out, we never really know what it's about. It's never explained. And uh, it doesn't make any sense. But so here's what it is. The free trade petition was a document drafted by the Trade Federation in order to lift the Senate revolution and stop the taxation of free trade zones so the Federation could continue their militarization. That is never explained. So you are like, the, the audience is just wandering around wondering why this thing needs to be signed. I don't understand it. And then why does he care so much about this? Like it's like if you were gonna have something like this treaty that is going to be one of the main focuses of the plot, flesh it out so we know the state. And then plot racing, oh my gosh, it's almost ten minutes long. There's no character development. It's just mindless CGI noise. It's basically NASCAR in space, and it almost feels like an episode of you know you remember Wacky Races. I do not know, but... Uh, oh my gosh, it was like uh, with Peter Perfect and Dick Dastardly. It was like one of those Hanna-Barbera sort of like races, and it's like just really um, dumb. And it's just fun to like watch. This is not... That is not pod racing. I don't understand what they were going for. We don't get any development for Anakin or Qui-Gon. And then, I think that whole point was to show that Anakin knows how to fly, how to drive. Yeah, I think that was the point of that. And you, but even then, you could have like totally trimmed it down. It's way too long. Maybe even like have it be one lap, where like the thing where the Boba or whatever his name is and Anakin are like, like intertwined in their speed racers. Have that be like towards the end of a lap, but it's just too long. And then. Another big thing for me was that we never see any of the effects of the invasion of Naboo. So there's no, like, visible sense of urgency. Like, there's this one scene where it seems like they're about to show how the people are, quote-unquote, suffering, and then it just cuts away. Like, if you're going to have, if you're going to mention that the people are suffering and starving and dying, show us that they are so it's not just we have to rely on the characters telling us that they are. You know, one of like the easiest ways that um, this could have been avoided was just showing them like maybe like there's like I know it's dark, but like a public execution or something like that, or like people like visibly starving. That's for like Revenge of the Sith, dude. Not for this. No, but what I'm saying is, you can't just say that the people are suffering. You have to show them suffering, or the audience is not gonna like feel anything. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and then the plotline about the queen—I don't understand. She's in danger on Naboo. Why does she wait? Like Padme, why does she wait to reveal herself on Naboo to the Gungans? I know, but maybe it was her on Coruscant, like when Anakin goes to say goodbye. Maybe that is her, but I just don't know. It makes no sense. And then I want to talk about the final battle really quickly because there's four aspects of it. And there's the Gungans versus the droid army, which is a lot of just CGI. You can't invest in it. The space battle. Anakin is a child with little to no experience flying a ship. And he's able to sing a hand and uh, destroy all the droids. 
fun. Like Luke. Yeah. But like Luke had experience. Like it stated, Luke knew how to fly. He wanted to go to the academy to learn more. But Anakin, even at the pod race, he's never finished the pod race until you know he does at the, in the middle of the movie. And then there's the palace fight between the Queen's guards and the Viceroy's. It's very inconsequential for me because we still don't know what the tree is about. The only part of this final battle that worked for me was the Duel of Fates. Because despite being a very one-dimensional antagonist, you know, Darth Maul is very visibly menacing in his looks and his actions. So, and then you care. You actually care about Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon. So you have, you act, the audience has a personal stake in what happens. And then, of course, you know, the Duel of Fates is just great. The song itself, John Williams, it's one of my, it's one of my favorites. Dude, I think that Qui-Gon would probably have lived if Obi-Wan had just picked up the pace. Like, he was just kind of jogging over there. He wasn't, like, sprinting or anything. He was just kind of jogging. Yeah, the one part, like, the, with the ray shields and stuff. Like, why can't you just stab the ray shield, like, generator and go in? I, that part didn't make sense to me, but that's, like, I don't understand. And then, as far as the writing and dialogue, did you have anything about that in your notes? Jar Jar should not have been speaking whatsoever. Yes, he is. I don't understand anything. The Jar Jar, Jar Jar, I know I've already gone into Jar Jar, but like every time I see or hear Jar Jar on screen, I want to punch something. It's like, it's hard to watch. Like, I thought I hated the Ewoks. Jar Jar takes the cake. Uh, so as far as the writing goes, the droids are written to be so disposable to the point where, you know, any confrontation that the Jedi or, like, the palace guards have with them, there's no stakes because you know, like, they're gonna get defeated. And the dialogue definitely varies in quality. Like, the example, like, when they're in, um, Moss Eisley and Anakin goes to Padme, he goes, like, are you an angel? Really? It's, it's just weird. And then it feels like, at times, they're just dumping exposition on the audience, you know? I mean, like, the, the best way to like have exposition done is a mix of visuals and um, dialogue. But this film focuses more on the dialogue. Yeah. Pacing, pacing is very off. The beginning is faster paced. The middle is very slow. And there's a lot of meandering. And then at the end, it picks up the pace. But it's just very uneven. And there's just so much lack of logic. Like, Anakin has no father because he was conceived by midichlorians. In the words of Han Solo, that's not how the Force works. And then, of course, the treaties never explain. And then another thing is that Qui-Gon bets their way off Tatooine on some random kid that he just... He met five minutes ago. And the, and the fact is that Anakin has made it known that he has previously tried and failed to even finish. And then I know, granted, he ha he, and, uh, Qui Gon senses that he has a quote unquote high midichlorian count, but still, that's not how the Force works. And then yeah. I will give them credit. There's the part where Anakin leaves his mother. It's it can, it can be a very powerful scene, but I think that if they had built up the relationship between Anakin's mom and Anakin, it would have helped that scene a lot be more emotional, more powerful. And then, of course, the kid would have been a better actor. That would have helped a lot, too. And then yeah. the Senate, all the stuff with the politics, it could be interesting, but not in a Star Wars movie. That is not what fans come to see. No, they come to see people fighting with lightsabers and then getting shot in space. Exactly. 
Exactly. And then do you have anything for, you, you had something for editing, right? Yeah, I, I mean, I kind of touched on this. The CGI backgrounds were good. Like, the CGI on the cities was really good. I thought it was good. And then the aliens were kind of okay. And then you get to Jar Jar and the Gungans, and it just looks like you kind of took a picture of, like, what you wanted and then just stuck it on there. Yeah. The like, you didn't try to blend it in at all. Yeah, the concept of the Gungans, I, like, feel like it's supposed to be kind of like a, um, kind of like based off Atlantis a little bit. But... Ugh, I don't think that the design of them and like the way their performances are carried out, like quite like, in captures the spirit of Atlantis. You know what I'm saying? It's not very exciting, and they just look stupid. Um, so for like for editing wise, there's way too many wipes. You know what I'm saying? Like the screen to transition to another scene, it wipes, and um. I mean, they need a variety of scene transitions, whether it be just like a cold cut transition or something like that, but it's way too many wipes. And then there's way too many cuts to the Viceroy and Palpatine slash Darth Maul that are way too short, they have little impact on the film, and there's no substance to them. I think that you could have cut down on the runtime significantly if you had just condensed some of those uh, cuts to the Viceroy and Palpatine into smaller scenes. And that would have helped, I think, build up Palpatine a little bit more. Because, like, he feels like he's just there in this film. Like, the Emperor, yeah. like, Darth Sidious himself, not Palpatine so much. But the concept of Darth Sidious is just kind of there. Palpatine, as a character, has much more involvement. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, yeah. I just, okay. We I, should probably move on, though, because we've been here for 20 minutes already. Yeah. There's just so much wrong with this film. And then, so, overall, I'd give this a 5 out of 10. This film, a 5 out of 10. It's not that great. Yeah, I'd give it, like, a 5.5. Yeah, it's, it's like, it's okay. It's not great, but as a Star Wars film, ugh. All right, so let's move on to Attack of the Clones. Biggest thing for me is there's way too many plot lines. You've got the assassination of the Queen, the clone army, who's Jango Fett. You've got um, the droid army. You've got Count Dooku. It's like so many plot lines that ugh, it just doesn't like cohesively blend together. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I honestly I thought that Obi Wan's was okay. Like his flowed very nicely. Like you could understand how they got there. Yeah, but I just, and then Anakin and Padme. It was just like oh, they're on a lake in Naboo. Yeah, oh boy. Yeah, we're, I'm gonna get into that really quickly. That is just horrible. But so I'm gonna focus on the good of the casting. And for me, the only really good part of the cast was Hugh McGregor. He is, like, the best actor by far. He's a great comedic relief. And it's just fun to see him on screen, which I don't find with any of the other characters. Except I actually enjoy Christopher Lee. I wish he was in more of that movie. Yeah, so for Christopher Lee, uh, I'm mixed on Christopher Lee because he is a very good actor. And he portrays Dooku very well. And Dooku being an ex-Jedi and him being Qui-Gon's ex-Padawan, that's very interesting. But he doesn't show up till an hour and 16 minutes into the movie, and he's the main villain. I, I, yeah. I don't think that they knew what they wanted to do with him, to be honest. I think that even, like, one scene toward, like, uh, the beginning of the second act with Dooku in it wouldn't have made, like, 
this character like much more like known in the film, and I, I don't know. I just ugh, I, I can't with <laughs> it's fun. But and then oh, uh, you know what's weird? Rose Grin, you know from um X Men, she plays more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pirate. She was part of the Queen's accompaniment. I know. I saw that. They did that with Kira Knightley in the. Yeah, but I forgot to mention this, and I thought that was a really good idea because they look a lot alike. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that was cool. And then banter between Obi Wan and Anakin is very good, I think. But Hayden Christensen's delivery is very hollow and cringy. Do you want to? He feels uncomfortable. Like he seems so uncomfortable being there. Yes, I don't understand like all of that. Like there's this one scene where he goes. Yes, master. And then Obi Wan says something, and he goes, "Yes, master." And then he goes, "Yes, master. I'm trying, master." And he doesn't change his performance at all. He doesn't change tone, expression, nothing. He's just like reading off a, uh, a teleprompter, basically like a news anchor. It, it's and he's very whiny. He's like, "It's not fair," and his it's it makes his performance so unbelievable. Like mm, I don't know, but there's this like when he's talking about how he thinks the government should work. It's actually good foreshadowing for Darth Vader and stuff. And then when the moment when Anakin reacts to his mother's death and, like, his murdering Tusken Raiders, but he's so whiny and it's weird. I can't tell if it works or not. Because on one hand, he goes, it's only one's fault. And then he claims he's like my father. And I'm like, make up your mind, dude. And then his guilt for saving his mother, I feel like that's actually good for his arc. But again, if they had fleshed out the relationship between the mom and Anakin more, I feel like that would have helped. I want to go back to the Tusken Raiders for a minute. Yeah. Dude, he murdered an entire village, like an entire settlement of Tusken Raiders, and then went and bragged about it. It wasn't so much bragging about it, really. I think it was more like he's kind of ashamed of it, but he feels like Padme's the only person he can talk to. So that part, I think, works a little bit well. Just his delivery of the lines just doesn't work for me. But I wanted to talk about uh, Natalie Portman and Anakin. Uh, her performance in this one is emotionless, as always. And, like, I have a list for uh, Padme and Anakin, their relationship of, like, things that just do not work. So it's, like, a Romeo and Juliet-style romance because, like, it's going to end up in tragedy, you know. Uh, Padme and Anakin's going to become Darth Vader. It just doesn't work, though, because they're... They're, um, they have no chemistry. Yeah, just have no chemistry. And the romance is just very unbelievable. It feels very forced. So she seems like she doesn't even want to be in the room with him. Yes, exactly. And I have a list of all the cringiest Anakin and Padme lines interactions. Let's get started on it. I don't think she liked me watching her. I'd much rather dream about Padme. Her presence is intoxicating. Please don't look at me like that. It makes me uncomfortable. You're exactly the way I remember you in my dreams. And then I don't like saying that, of course, and rough and irritating. And it gets everywhere. Not like you. You're everything soft and smooth. And then Anakin proceeds to correct her shoulder and grin like a creepy child. Ooh. And then... then but she's like, what, five years older than he is? Five I some odd years older than she is, he is? And then there's the one where he goes, from the moment I met you all those years ago, not a day has gone by when I have not thought of you. And now that I'm with you, I'm in agony. Oh my gosh. And then there's the one line where he goes, I'm haunted by the kiss that you should never have given me. It's, this is all the stuff that serial killer slash stalker says to his victim. It, yeah. The relationship is very unbelievable. And honestly, it creeps me out. 
And it, like, R2 during the factory, you know, when Padme's, like, in that, um, like, she's in danger. Yeah. R2 does more to save Padme than Anakin does. And that, like, bothered me a lot. And then at the end, they get married. And I'm like, that came out of nowhere. These people have been dating for what? Like, a couple days. Three weeks? Yeah. Ugh. Anyway, did you have anything else you wanted to add about casts and characters? Um, not really. I thought Tamora, I thought it was cool how they used Tamora Morrison in there, but otherwise. Who's Tamora Morrison again? I'm sorry, I forget. Django. Django. Django, Django, Django was good. I liked Django. He doesn't have to have, like, this big, um, developing story arc. He kind of just there, is just there to introduce the clones. That part, I was okay with. I wasn't okay with how they took him out, though. Because Mitch Windu beheads him very, like, it's kind of, it's a little bit, not, it's not graphic, but you see it, and it's just weird. And it was abrupt Yeah, it was really abrupt. And then Boba just holding his helmet. We're never going to be able to see in a live-action movie, I mean, we kind of saw it in The Clone Wars, but I don't want to get into that. We're never going to see Boba get his revenge. We're barely going to see any of Boba in the original trilogy. That part, I don't think, made sense. But let's move on to the plot. Alright, what did you have a plot? Um, I actually thought the plot was a lot better than this than the than Phantom Menace. I thought Obi-Wan's subplot was really interesting with like, I'm gonna go after who killed her. I'm gonna track this chain of events. Kamino was really cool. I could have done without Anakin and Padme on the boo and stuff, but and then I was super happy when they all came together on Geonosis. Like, they both kind of, like, combined together into Geonosis to form one continuous mm-hmm. after that. Yeah. So I had was just, what I said at the beginning, there's way too many plot lines. So for the whole assassination plot, that starts out very interesting, but you never really finish that out. It never stuck the landing for me, because I only know it's Django Fett, but it doesn't, like, feel like to me. And then there's the speeder chase on Coruscant. That's very good. But then... It's 15 minutes until the next action scene. So that kind of ties into the pacing. It's very off. This film felt very boring for me. I, like, had trouble focusing on it. And then there's, like, there's this one scene where Obi-Wan goes to a 50s-style diner to find the bounty hunter, you know, to find Django. And we he sees a guy that we've never even heard of, we're never going to hear of again. It just felt like a weird way to transition into the Django Fett story. And then... Also, like, when uh, Jar Jar is, um, gives, he, like, votes to have the Chancellor, um, get emergency powers, you know? Jar Jar basically started the Clone Wars. So, I know. Basically, the whole thing is Jar Jar's fault. So, that's all I want to say about that. And Jar Jar from episode one. And then the conspiracy about who ordered the creation of the clone army it's very interesting because, like, you have Sifo Diaz who's been dead for all this time, but it's never really, like, fully implied that it was Dooku or Sidious or whoever it was. But I just felt like that kind of didn't go anywhere. And um, also, Anakin's mom's death should be an emotional powerhouse, I've said. But what? Sorry, can you say that again? Sorry, Anakin's mom's death, you know, should have been an emotional powerhouse, but the movie barely mentions her. And then, like, the relationship is not built up. But I've said that before. 
And then the Tusken Raiders was a good moment, of course. And then the droid army plot, they have this factory on Geonosis. That comes out of nowhere. And it draws the focus away from the Chancellor getting emergency powers and the clones and stuff. And, like, I just don't feel like it was, like, fitting. Because, like, the whole movie, it says, like, we need an army. We need an army. But there's no, like visual evidence that they need an army so like i think if you had shown what the separatists were doing without the without a new like a, a big boy army that would have made the stakes for stopping them like distribute like the droids across the galaxy have much much more big stakes you know what i'm saying yeah and then there's another thing where there's like windu and yoda kept Keep implying that there are quote unquote so few Jedi. We're not an army. We can't fight a war for you. You know what I'm saying? But if there are so few of them, why does Palpatine need to use the clones to kill them all? That part. No, and like, if there's so few Jedi, how did that many of them show up on Geonosis? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's not. It was like a small army of them. Yeah. Like, I think the movie contradicts itself a lot when it comes to the Jedi. And then I want to talk about the final battle really quickly. The arena, the arena battle was pretty cool. I mean, it starts out with those animals, and that's not too exciting. But then when you have the Jedi enter, it's very cool to see a bunch of Jedi in one place fighting together. And then you have the clones enter, and that's all right. And then you get into, like, the... Dooku and Anakin and Obi-Wan and Yoda. Yeah, but, um, but like, more of the clones, it's just a lot of CGI noise. Because you have the clone army versus the droid army. You have not developed any of the characters on either side, so it's just these two big CGI armies clashing together with no stakes, because we've already established that the droids are disposable, and we don't know anything about the clones. So, and then when Yoda says, if Dooku escapes, rally more systems to his cause, he will. Except for the fact we have not seen him rally anyone to his side, so the threat is not substantial. Well, we do kind of see that at the end. Well, yeah, but, like, they are, are like, um, the Trade Federation, all those other people, like, the Geonosians, they're already, like, allied with him. I would have liked to see, like, towards the beginning, like, as I was saying, like, have Dooku go to a planet and have, like, have him, like, persuade somebody to join his side. You know what I'm saying? Because then, yeah. then the audience knows, okay, Dooku is amassing an alliance. He's going to start a war. He has an army. But it's never really shown. And then uh, Dooku versus Obi-Wan and Anakin is very good choreography, but it's not very exciting for me. And then Anakin, hmm? Anakin just kind of got his butt handed to him. Yeah, he gets his arm cut off. And you know, Hayden Christensen, if you get your arm cut off, you are going to be in pain. Hayden Christensen does not portray Anakin as in pain. He barely reacts. He's kind of lace there. Yeah, he goes unconscious. And I'm like, that's fine. He's going to pass up from the pain. That that makes sense. But, like, have him, like, scream out in pain or something beforehand so that we know that, like, Anakin understands his arm is getting cut off. That part didn't make sense to me. And then Dooku versus Yoda. It doesn't harness the emotional impact between a master and his fallen apprentice for me. Like, Yoda versus Dooku is just like another lightsaber battle. I think if they had made it so that Yoda feels like, like, you know, in Kung Fu Panda, I don't, this feels weird to segue to Kung Fu Panda, but like when there's Shifu versus Tai Lung, 
If yeah, they, Shifu feels bad about it. Yes. I wish they would have done something like that in this. I feel like that could have given the fight a little bit more of emotional depth. I think that would have helped a lot. But anyway, that's all I have for plot. And uh, let's go into writing and the dialogue. What did you have for that? The writing, I thought, was a lot better than it was before. And like I think part of that also comes from the help George Lucas got. Because it wasn't just him writing it this time. It was George Lucas and Jonathan Hales. And so I think that helps because like Hales can be like, George, that's a bad idea. It's always good to have somebody to like, okay, maybe this doesn't work. Have them bring like you down a little bit, like ground them a little bit. But I actually disagree. I think the writing for this one was a lot worse. Like the pacing I've already talked about is super off. We don't get an action scene from the first so from the first fight scene not the first exactly but like the fight where it's like the chase on a course on 50 minutes later we get the next action scene and that doesn't i don't i'm not expecting going to a star wars movie so like much over the top action but i would like to have something exciting happen every once in a while and mm -hmm. Dooku doesn't show up until an hour into the movie and then the, the dialogue it felt very corny and cheesy at times. Like, there's this one scene at the beginning where uh, the one guard, he goes, well, I guess I was wrong. I guess there's nothing, no danger at all. And the ship proceeds to blow up. That felt very corny. Yeah. There's so much, it's, there's so much exposition. You've established the need for an army, but you've done it verbally. There's no sense of urgency because you haven't set it up uh, visually. But I've already talked about that. And then Anakin grew up way too much in just 10 years. He was eight, and that would make him like 18 in this film. And he looks way too grown up to me. He looks like he's 20. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, now that I'm thinking about it, but it's, it's just a weird way to like transition from Phantom Menace to Attack of the Clones. A 10-year gap does not feel right to me. I've said in, in Phantom Menace that he should have been a teenager, and I think that would have made uh, the transition from Phantom Menace to Attack of the Clones much more organic. But Yeah. And then there's a lot of walking and talking and sitting and talking. And I'm like, have something exciting happen every once in a while. And like on Camino, that whole scene was just Obi-Wan walking around with them, just talking to them about it. Yeah. It, uh, I, 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 it was hard to watch this film. It was very boring for me. But And then there, the, one of the bigger problems I have is where um, Obi-Wan literally calls Anakin to Geonosis. He's calling him to the other plot line. And I felt like that was a very sloppy way to intersect the two main stories about Anakin and Padme's love story and, like, all the other, like, army plots. That, like, because then Anakin is just, like, a static protagonist. He's just waiting for the plot to call him instead of initiating the plot. It, it didn't make sense to me. But, on the other hand, production design was great. And I think the costumes and makeup were really good. Although whoever designed the haircuts for like uh, Obi-Wan and Anakin was just nuts. It looks so weird. <laughs> like, don't you think? 
I thought that it was. I thought that Anakin's was a decent decision, just for consistency reasons, because that's what Obi Wan had in the Phantom Menace. So they're just trying to keep that consistent. But Obi Wan, I was a little confused about. Yeah, I actually that makes more. I like that's a good point. That he looks more like Obi Wan in Phantom Menace. I like that. That's a good point. And then so overall, I'd give this film another five out of ten. But I would say. I like Phantom Menace more just because I think it's a little bit more exciting. Not too overly exciting, but a little bit more exciting. What do you think? I'm actually going to give this a six. I like this a, a, bet, a little bit better than I did the Phantom Menace. I understand that, yeah. All right, so let's move into Revenge of the Sith. What did you think overall? I thought that the writing was much more memorable. Like, there are so many memes that came out of this movie. <laughs> if it exists. Like, only to give us the memes, I'm okay with that. Let's be honest. Like, I have a list here of, like, the memes that, that were made out of this movie. Yeah. Right, like, we need to be going up, not down. Mm -hmm. Have you heard the tragedy of Darth Plague is the wise? Yeah. Ironic. This whole operation was your idea. <laughs> Hello there. Hello there. That, yeah, that is the most iconic line. I am the Senate. And I, I love I Am the Senate. That's one of my favorites, too. But overall, I feel like they actually knew what they wanted to do with this one. I felt oh, like wait, there's one more. There's one more that I think might be as popular as Hello There. Jesus. It's over, Anakin. I have the high ground. Oh, I totally forgot. That is, like, the greatest, like, meme ever. It's so good. Okay, so for Revenge of the Sith, I feel like they actually knew what they wanted to do. They wanted to, like, have, like, a transition from... The war for the Empire. I feel like that happened very organically, and it was a good transition. And then with Anakin, even though I don't like Hayden Christensen, I think his motivations and stuff, and how they how uh, Palpatine set him up to become Darth Vader, I think that worked. That worked for me. I felt so. This film, I felt was way more focused. But yeah, about the directorial style, very the plot is very much based in history. And that kind of gives it a little bit more of, um, like, it, it's very interesting for me. Because, like, um, there's uh, Palpatine becoming the Chancellor before becoming Emperor. He's very uh, Hitler-ish, as, uh, you know, Hitler was the Fuhrer, you know? And then yeah. uh, Lucas, like, the parallels between Palpatine and Hitler and Caesar and Bonaparte, that, and, like, Nixon even. That, like, it's very good. I'm, I'm, by the way, I'm getting a lot of this from Wikipedia, just so you know. It's very yeah. <laughs> and then the Great Jedi Purge, you know what I'm saying? Uh, it's actually reminiscent of the Night of Long Knives. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's this one where uh, Hitler, before he was the Fuhrer, he had all these, like, high-ranking uh, German officers killed in order to, like, become the Fuhrer. And I just think that that gave the plot a little bit more, like, interesting depth to me. That part I liked. So, good job, Lucas. Good job. You writ that well. So let's go into the cast and characters. What did you think about that? I am so happy they kept Ewan McGregor through the whole thing. Yes. Dude, he seems like he genuinely cares about Anakin. I felt like, like, and he's sarcastic with him and stuff, but, like, he genuinely cares about him. He keeps his anger in check. He's, like, check your emotions, Anakin. Yeah, their friendship is very believable because I feel like 
Ewan McGregor helps make Hayden Christensen a better actor. I feel like they had not great chemistry, but I feel like Ewan McGregor helped a lot. And even there was a brief glimmer of hope for Hayden Christensen at the beginning, uh, because like he like genuinely like the film. Like there's like this is where the fun begins. That that was kind of fun, and I was like very interested to see like how Hayden Christensen was actually very good at the beginning. And then we're quickly reminded why he's the worst with his first interaction with Padme. And it's, ugh, that then just fell for me. Anyway, keep going. Um, I also thought that Hayden Christensen got a little better. Like, he seems to care a lot more about other people. Like, he cares a lot about Obi-Wan. It's very, it, he kind of cares about Padme. He cares about Palpatine. But he's still kind of arrogant. Yeah. Like, specifically in the scene, the Padme's like, oh, we could get Obi-Wan to help us with the pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And Anakin's like, not happening. Well, that part, I don't feel that's Hayden Christensen. I feel like that's the writing. And I actually feel like that works because then he doesn't trust Obi-Wan and that leads to the hate. And I feel like that actually worked for me. But yeah, yeah, keep going. I said his anger was more in check. Like, he's not, like, yelling at everybody. Mm-hmm. Like, y'all suck. And, like, that council scene, he gets annoyed for, like, two minutes at most, and then he's just like, okay. Yeah, that's true. For Hayden Christensen, for me, he is a little bit better towards the beginning, but then he just goes back to being really bad. There's this one scene where, like, the Chancellor wants to promote him, you know, to the uh, the Jedi Council, but he claims to be, quote-unquote, overwhelmed, but he doesn't change anything about his performance. He just goes, Master! I'm overwhelmed, sir. He doesn't change anything. And that that drew me back a lot. Anyway, keep going. Palpatine. Such a good job. I mean, like, he did a great job at, like, pointing at Eric, like, finding the thing Anakin didn't like, and then just going back at it. Mm. Like, his distrust with the Jedi. Like, Anakin's like, I'm more powerful and stuff. I don't think they're telling me everything. Palpatine's like, you know what? They aren't telling you everything. You should be on that council because you're more powerful than any of them. Any of them. <laughs> yeah, that, I felt like Palpatine, this was the Emperor at his best. I feel like they promoted him to the main villain. It works. Uh, he's very good at manipulating Anakin and the Jedi Council and the Senate. I feel like he was great. The biggest, not the biggest acting problem let me go actually let me go to Natalie Portman really quickly. For her credit, I think she did a lot better in this film. I feel like she actually got her acting chops in check, and I feel like she actually dug into this performance. Even though she's barefoot and pregnant the whole film, I feel like uh, the relationship got a little bit better because of Natalie Portman. But I want to talk a little bit about General Grievous a little bit, because what a waste of a cool character idea. Dude, his CGI was so cool. Yes, but the problem for me was he's very cartoony, always coughing, weird Russian accent. He's this Jedi killer, but they portray him like a cartoon. With his collection. I don't understand it. And then General Grievous, he literally goes out like a chump. He literally disarmed and gets shot in the chest and his eyes go on fire and he dies. What a waste of your character. Because he is, like, the end of the war, basically. 
his death is the end of the war, but uh, it was just way too cartoony for me. So let's go into the plot. What did you have for plot? Plot I thought was really good. Like I thought it was consistent. You can tell like George Lucas very clearly said, this is where I want to start. This is where I want to end it. And, like, it very naturally flows through there. Like, it's not, like, trying to get there. It's like, okay, we're going to take, have it start with Anakin and Obi-Wan rescuing him. And then Anakin is going to get appointed to the council and no, and he's going to be like, oh, they all suck. And then eventually Palpatine's going to, like, reveal himself. And then it's going to get to the Jedi Purge. And then it's going to go to, like, final fight scene, final couple scenes there. Yeah, I, like, I feel like it progressed more naturally than it did before. It was very organic. Everything connects well. I thought the pieces all fit. I agree. What else? I would also say, like, the fight scenes didn't feel forced. Like, I felt like in some of them it was kind of like, okay, here comes a fight scene. Mm-hmm. But, like, with this one it was like, oh, cool, fight scene. Yeah, this, I feel like the fight scenes in this one had actual stakes. Like, things are actually going to happen as a result. There will be actual implications. That part made the battles for me a lot more interesting. I agree. What else? Like, with Dooku, Anakin, and Obi-Wan, if they don't succeed there, the Chancellor's going to be stuck there, and that war is going to the Separatists. Yeah, and ironically, if they had just let it play out, like, of course they can't just let Palpatine, you know, stay there, but if they hadn't saved him, his plan wouldn't have worked so well. So that's kind of interesting. But anyway... Anything else? Uh, I'm, I got nothing. All right. So I want to talk about how, like, in this film, what was missing in the other films is in here, there's a sense of urgency. As we talked about, like, if Grievous is not captured, um, the war is going to continue. Uh, the Jedi are, like, like, there's a threat of a Jedi, uh, like, overtaking, I guess, you know? Like a revolution, basically. A coup. Yeah, a coup. A coup. Good word. That's all interesting. And the audience actually feels the stakes. And I felt like that just helped this film a lot. And also the opening, I think, is one of, like, my favorite openings of Star Wars movies are The Last Jedi and this one. Because it's actual stakes in a good fight. Because, like, the Chancellor's in danger. And so it's like, it's an opening that actually excites. And there's a lot of mini conflicts, like, embedded into this big space battle. You've got the vulture droids at the beginning, and there's the elevator scene. And that adds some good depth to the battle. Can I just add one thing about that scene when they're on the ship? I thought that R2 versus the super battle droids was one of the funnier moments of that movie. I feel like R2 is, like, the most consistently efficient character across this whole trilogy. I feel like he's the one that does almost the most. But, yeah. and But they killed off Count Dooku, I think, way too early. I know it helps advance Anakin's character arc and development, but it kind of sacrifices an opportunity for a good villain in Dooku. And I thought it was disappointing for me, because I wanted them to like, kind of flesh his character out a little bit more in this one. Anyway, but also, like, a fun fact about the, um, the opening battle, like... Originally, Lucas wanted it to be a montage of the Clone Wars, and I think that could have helped a little bit, but anyway. But also, there was initially going to be a scene where Palpatine reveals that um, 
he had willed Anakin's conception through the Force. And first of all, that's not how the Force works. And second of all, that would have been like the second greatest who's your daddy moment in the Star Wars uh, trilogy. But I think I'm glad they took that out because that would have been way too much. That creates real tension. And then Padme the baby mama. That was interesting because we know that that's going to be Luke and Leia. That yeah. I, I liked that. And then Anakin foresees Padme's death and he wants to like save her. That he didn't kill her. What? He didn't kill her. She was medically fine. At the end of the movie, the droid was like, she's medically that. fine. I never said that. I never said that. But I do, I'm glad you brought that up though. Because like there's the one scene where he chokes her, you know, at the end. Yeah. And I was like, okay, they're gonna make it so that Anakin forced her, Anakin forced her into premature labor. And that was kind of like an interesting way. It's, it's a good sense of irony. But they said she died of sadness. Are you kidding me? You had no will to live. <laughs> just the dumbest thing. One of the dumbest things in Star Wars. I I, I can't get behind that. But and then the whole Kashyyyk thing, it adds really nothing to the plot, but it does serve as a good display of the war. I feel like we haven't really had a good uh, sense of the Clone Wars overall. I mean, the Clone Wars starts an attack of the clones and then almost is ending towards the beginning of uh, this one. I don't feel like we got a lot of substance to the war. Yeah. And then I want to talk a little bit about Anakin really quickly. There's a, there's a lot I liked about this. Anakin's arc. Like, making him a spy, that is good for his arc, because now he doesn't trust the Jedi so much. He's jealous of Obi-Wan. And it just makes, like, his motivations for betraying the Jedi very well established, and I liked that. And then the whole plot line about how the Jedi would have to take control of the Senate to ensure a peaceful transition, that makes it clear, like, how the Senate could back the Chancellor on killing the Jedi because there's a fear of a, re a revolution. So the Senate is like, okay, we got to give the Chancellor emergency powers and like make him an emperor so that he can- Keep him in power. What? Keep him in power for as long as we can. Yes, exactly. And like they like him because he got rid of the Jedi. And I felt that was very uh, good. It's very reminiscent of like, honestly, Hitler because the Germans actually really liked him. And I felt like that was kind of very interesting. And then all the plot lines seem to tie in well. And then I think also, though, if Padme and Anakin's love story had been a little bit more believable in uh, Attack of the Clones and a little bit more in this one, it would have given her death and, you know, Anakin's reaction a little bit more of an emotional punch. But, yeah. and then Order 66 is probably the darkest moment in Star Wars history. And it worked. Can I ask you a question about that quick? Please do. Would that have considered to be started with Windu when he killed when Palpatine killed Windu? Would that have considered the start of it, or would it have been like when he technically said, "Execute Order sixty six? Hmm. I would say that it started with Execute Order sixty six because then Order sixty six is actually in effect because it's the clones killing the Jedi and not just another Jedi killing more Jedi. You know what I'm saying? Okay. But and then. Anakin turned the dark side is very believable. And then Liberty dies with thunderous applause, as Padme says. It's all good. And then I want to talk about the finale also, because the Emperor versus Yoda, 
it's cool to see Yoda in action again, and you have this guy who's trained all the Jedi and the guy who's trained all the Sith, basically, fighting one another. That's cool, but it's not great. But It's like the two superpowers of the world just going at it to yeah. see who's more powerful. Yeah, but I don't think that... I mean, it's not necessary for the film, but it is cool to have it in there. But Anakin versus Obi-Wan, the Battle of Heroes... Is just it might be my favorite lightsaber battle to be honest. Yeah, it's got great fight choreography. It's not bogged down by two CGI armies and meaningless battle. Instead, it's a very more up close and personal battle. It has emotional and personal stakes. The audience cares about Obi Wan, and I mean, I honestly cared a little bit about Anakin in this. So you actually care what happens, and then. And, like, also, you can tell Obi-Wan does not want to be doing this. Like, you can tell in the way he's fighting. He doesn't want to do this. Yeah, he goes, you are my brother, Anakin. I loved you. And that marks, and then he goes, I hate you. It's the mark of the end of a friendship and the start of this hatred between Darth Vader and Obi-Wan Kenobi. Well, I was going to say, that's like the death of Anakin and the birth of Vader is that moment right there. Exactly. Because then it's like, then he's like literally like consumed by lava and then he has to get the suit. That is just great. And then death of Padme, birth of Luke Skywalker, end of the prequels, birth of the original trilogy. I thought that was very poetic. I liked that. And then how do they end such a dark movie? It was such a hopeful ending with um, Uncle Ben. Not was it? What was his name? Uncle Lars. Uncle, what? No, 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 no. Uncle Owen. Uncle Owen. Uncle Owen. Yeah. Rue. They're just looking at the sunset, and it's very, very hopeful. And I appreciate that because that hope is the essence of Star Wars. I thought. I think. And I, I appreciate that. So, what did you have for writing the dialogue? Do you have anything for that? Uh, I really like, I agree with you, the The final fight between Obi-Wan and Anakin was one of the best fight scenes of the, like, entire Star Wars saga here. Like, Obi-Wan is very obviously like, I don't want to kill you. You can tell, because Obi-Wan is, like, on the defensive the whole time. Yeah. He's never really attacking Anakin. He's on the defensive pretty much the whole time. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, like, at the end when he beats it, when, like, Anakin is, when they're at that lava point, and Obi-Wan is, like, standing above him, and he goes, I have the high ground, don't do it, Anakin. And then Anakin does that, and Obi-Wan, like, finishes the fight, and he's like, I didn't want to do that, Anakin. Yeah. Why did you make me do that? Yeah, yeah, I agree, I agree. The only thing for writing for me, I mean, I kind of discussed everything that I want to talk about for writing already, but the biggest thing was... Now, no one is suspicious of Palpatine in the beginning, and then suddenly the council does suspects something's up. I feel like if they had treated his dual identity with a little bit more subtlety, I think that would have given, um, like, the realization that this is Palpatine. Like, would have made it, one, more believable, and two, I think it would have made it more, like, impactful for the film. And, like, the shock that Palpatine is the Emperor, I feel like would have been more powerful. That's I, I think that that fight scene between Palpatine and the Jedi Council was actually kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Although I don't like, I agree with you, but I don't like how like the first two Jedi go out like super easily. Like he just like lunges at the one guy and he dies instantly. 
Yeah. That part didn't feel believable to me. But other than that, it's a very cool battle. And you have Darth Vader's transition into um, Vader basically start at that scene where he cuts off Windu's hand and bows to the Emperor. That was very good. Uh, I want to talk about the music really quickly. It, I felt it's the best of the prequels. John Williams did the best job. And uh, it definitely reflects the emotionality of the film, especially like with the song Anakin's Dark Deeds. You can check it out. It's very like good. It's very emotional. And the immolation scene song, that is very good too. Like where um, Anakin is being consumed by lava, it reflects the emotionality of the scene very well. I think he should have won something. I don't know if he won anything for that, but it was just so good. Yeah. So overall, I would give this one a 7 out of 10. What would you say? Yeah, I was going to say like 7.5 to 8. I feel like this is a film that has its flaws, but overall it's very focused and I can appreciate that. I liked it a lot. And it was much more consistent. Yes, much more consistent than the other ones. Paced very well, I thought. Okay, so overall, I would say for ranking them, I would say Revenge of the Sith is my favorite. Then The Phantom Menace only because it's a little bit more exciting than Attack of the Clones. And obviously Attack of the Clones is my least favorite. I would I agree with you that Revenge of the Sith was the best one, mm-hmm. but I think that Attack of the Clones and then the Phantom Menace, just because I think that the Phantom Menace Jar Jar just screws it for me. Yeah. It was, like that is that was such a waste. Yeah, it was nice that in uh, Attack of the Clones there wasn't as much Jar Jar. I like he was like phased out of the movie. Yeah, exactly. They probably saw the reception of Jar Jar and they're like, okay, we gotta cut this out. But yeah, so overall. I mean, it's this is a definitely a disappointing trilogy, especially with the legacy of the original trilogy and how much everybody likes the original trilogy. But as and like the original trilogy was consistent with how good it was. Yeah, I mean, except for a little bit of Return of the Jedi, but they were very mainly consistent. But separate from the Star Wars universe, if this was its own trilogy, I think it would have been pretty good. I think that it's not a great trilogy; it has its flaws, but overall, it stuck the landing for me. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for listening. Mr. B and McKee is a product of the Maris Podcasting Club. It is produced by William Fenstermacher and hosted by Tommy Bazzuto and Jackson McKee. Executive producer is also William Fenstermacher. Senior engineer is Tyler Morgan. The theme song is The Duel by Benjamin Tassot, used under the Creative Commons 4 license. Find it at incomptech.com or linked on our website. The views expressed here are the views of the hosts and panelists and do not reflect the views of Maris School or the Society of Maryland.